Welcome to the Hong Kong on Screen podcast, brought to you by Hong Kong on Screen, a Los Angeles-based nonprofit organization promoting films and culture of Hong Kong. Hello, welcome back to the Hong Kong on Screen podcast. This week we have a very special guest with us, Isha. Isha, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Yep. So I'm Isha Ting. My uh, actually formal name is Chun Chun Ting. I teach at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore. I'm in the School of Humanities. I teach mainly literature and cinema, uh, but I also put in a lot of materials from Hong Kong. I grew up in Hong Kong and uh, pursued my PhD and in the US. Nice. So this week we're gonna talk about Song of the Exile, Hakto Chauhan, as promised. By Anne Ho, and this movie was made in the year 1990. And in the second episode of our podcast, in the last episode, we talked about the kind of changes the Hong Kong film industry was facing during this phase of the new wave, which we have retrospectively dubbed the second new wave of Hong Kong new wave. And Anne Ho, at this point in time, was actually facing some kind of.、Um, Career stagnation, as she revealed or confessed or admitted in her in the documentary about her keep rolling ho ho park dining, and this was after her first few successes, the Vietnam trilogy that we talked about in the first episode, and then in 1984 she made Love in the Fallen City, Kissing Ji Lun, and then、uh, in 1990 around this time she was also helping her mentor King Hu Wu Gumchun. Uh, do some wuxia movies in China. So she was one of the first film filmmakers actually from Hong Kong to make movies in China, as we know from Bo Pipo, Tabano Hoi, and then later from Su Kim Yan Chao Lo. And then now, Song of the Exile, Hakto Chauhan is now known as one of her major classics. It's also one of the only the two movies by her to play in the Cannes Film Festival in the Uncertain Regard section, and. This movie is her last major film before her career rejuvenation with *Summer Snow*. Nguyen says up in 1995, and with this movie, we can see a lot of her personal history being revealed. So this is also why it's regarded one of her most important movies in her filmography. Well, to kind of briefly summarize the plot, this movie it's about this girl called Hyoyan, played by Maggie Cheung. Who is studying film in the UK, much like Anne Ho herself, and then she has to go back to Hong Kong, go home to visit her family because of her sister's wedding, and then after this wedding, she goes on a trip with her mom to Japan, and there's a lot of tension between her and her mom, who are from two different regions of the world and two different times of the world. So, Isha, what do you think about Anne Ho? Making a movie like this at this point in her career. So for me, this is one of my all-time favorite among all Hong Kong films, and <clears throat>、um, you know most directors actually once they start shooting their own films, <clears throat> they tend to start with their own childhood stories and their own、uh, Bildung's romance, right? Their own coming-of-age narrative. But Andrew actually did this pretty late in her career. She has started shooting movies for more than ten years before she turned to her own personal story, and so this also somehow tells us what kind of a director Anne Hui is. She is always more public-minded, with maybe the most prominent political consciousness among、uh, Hong Kong directors, 
And so that's why we will see Anhui shooting her Vietnam trilogy before turning to her own personal story. And I think making the film in 1990, although this is semi-autobiographical, a lot of the details actually comes from her own family and her uh, growing up experience. But the, the goal of the film far exceeds just the personal need to recount one's coming of age, right? The film says a whole lot about identity in, in the specific situation of Hong Kong. And I think she is making the film with the intention to comment on the subject of Hong Kong identity in the 1990s, when the uh, issue of the handover is already looming large in the horizon. Mm-hmm. Like we covered in the second episode of our podcast, many Hong Kong directors around this time were making movies about these kind of anxieties before the 1997 handover of the sovereignty of Hong Kong from Britain to China. So I think it's interesting that you can see that even in what you consider the coming-of-age movie, you know, a very autobiographical story about Anne Hurry's own coming of age. You know, she didn't come of age during this time, but somehow you can see all these kind of pre-handover anxieties reflected in the movie. Yeah, and I, so a lot of my students, when they approach Hong Kong cinema, the most all-encompassing issue is always the handover in 1997, right? And often we try to look for um, how the issue is, how the issue and the collective anxiety is reflected in the cinematic text. But often, often it, this kind of correspondence, direct correspondence, often end in failure because what we should look for actually are the, are the similarities in the emotion or reflection that, that comes out of the narrative, rather than strict, uh, mirror, reflective. Uh, narration in in cinema. Mm. You talked about how Anne Her made social realist or you know social concerned films f- throughout the eighties and didn't really make her own coming of age movie until the nineties. And I was thinking maybe this is dictated by market forces. Maybe there simply isn't a demand and market for Anne Her autobiographical coming of age movie during this time and so this movie is actually largely co produced with Taiwan and it's it marks a kind of collaboration between the Hong Kong New Wave and the Taiwan New Cinema that was also a new wave of cinema that was occurring in Taiwan at the same time. Like, for example, this movie is actually written by Wu Nianzhen, who, you know, we might know from uh, starring in Edward Yang's movie Yi Yi, and we all might also know him from his uh, directorial films like Mo Yin Dek San Yao. Wu Nianzhen is definitely a main architect of the Taiwan New Cinema, and also, this movie stars a few Taiwanese actresses. Maggie Jung's mother in the movie is played by Lok Siu Fong, right? Who is a Taiwanese actress. So you can see a, a very important and landmark collaboration between these two new waves of cinema that retrospectively nowadays we know are two of the high points in Sinophone cinema history. Just, just a, a, a little bit of um, information on that. So that is a, actually a very important connection, I think, because um, Wu Lianzhen is also the scriptwriter for uh, Hou Xiaoxian's Dust of the Wind, mm-hmm. right? So I think coming-of-age narratives are much more prominent in Taiwan new cinema than in the Hong Kong new wave. 
so Song of the Exile does have some of that colors. It has some of that sensibility and coloring that is more a little bit closer to Taiwan new cinema than to the Hong Kong new wave. Right. I agree with you on that. Yeah. So, Isha, can you tell us a little bit more about how you think the pre-handover anxieties are reflected in the movie? Like, what exact content do you think in the movie reflects those kind of anxieties? So I'm not so sure whether this is a. I don't think anxiety is the best word that captures okay. the sensibility of the film. I, what I think the film does is it really, you know, rather than to reflect on those emotions or the, or the collective structure of feeling, what the film does is really to, it's almost like a philosophical debate or taking the issues on its head, you know, taking the keyword memory, cultural identity, similarity and differences, mm-hmm. past and present. So try to take the keyword of what identity is composed of mm. and try to engage with it through a story. So mm. while a lot of films, even if, you know, like... Um, uh, Happy Together by Wong Kar Wai, mm-hmm. for example, which is a much later film. But uh, I say this because a lot of my students would... It was made in 1997, you know, and it was uh, like goes to the antipode of Hong Kong to in Argentina to make the film. So a lot of the, the intention seem, of the film seems to be reflecting on Hong Kong's handover. But it's actually quite difficult to find how this love story is related to the political situation mm, of Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. What is reflected is the similarity in that sense of loss or confusion. But this one, Song of the Exile, I think is different because it really engages with the issue of identity and how, like, what shapes our identity. And the, is the identity shaped by the past or present? What role does memory play? in the formation of identity? How does family relations, how does love come to play in what we choose to be, what identity we choose to, to embrace? So what, what do you think are the kind of key components of the film that reflects these kinds of themes? Like, do you think there are particular scenes or stylistic devices or kind of like, yeah, like what, what do you think in the film is directly related to these themes? I think uh, one of the most important uh, cinematic language that is used in this film is the flashback. The film has um, more than maybe seven or more than seven flashbacks embedded in it. And flashback is basically bringing the audience to one's memory of certain events from the past. Mm -hmm. right? So flashback is about memory. And it's about how this memory bears, what kind of relationship is being constructed between the past and the present. So our assumption about memory is that memory is fixed because a memory is about a past event. Mm -hmm. The past event already occurred. So the memory, if it's a true reflection, if the memory is correct, then the memory should not be changed, right? But what the film shows us is a process of revisiting memory but at the same time, rediscovering and re-understanding that memory and its relationship with the present. Mm. Yeah, I think, actually, this reminds me, I, you know, I studied a little bit of psychology in the past, and one of the key theories is that 
basically that memory is reconstructive and it's very unreliable and oftentimes we think we remember something but we're not, we don't actually remember it we're just kind of imagining it and interpreting it in a way and i think you can definitely see that in this movie because of the way certain events are interpreted differently in different memories even though it's the same event happening again and again yeah for example let's take let's take the memory the first uh, one of the most important memories of the film <clears throat> is basically so in in the in this story Yan, the the child lives with her grandparents and with her mother in Macau, mm-hmm. right? And the father was working in Hong Kong. And so the first flashback gives us the impression that the mother is serious and cold. The mom is always silent, except on the moment when she's uh, disciplining Hu Yan. Mm-hmm. She's very distant and cold and silent. And the grandparents are loving, they are joyful. They introduce Huyan to the outside world. The mom is always indoors. And the grandparents take Huyan to the market, to the restaurant, to have dim sum, all kinds of activities, right? So all of Huyan's happy childhood memory are associated with the grandparents and not with the mom. And then uh, in, in, the, in the second flashback, we see that the grandma was kind of Inuinating that her earrings, some of her jewelry were missing, and she kind of hinted that maybe it's the mother who's, who have stolen mm-hmm. them. And so the first time when this flashback is presented, we see that uh, the mom calls the dad, and the, the dad comes to Macau to pick up the mom and bring the mom to Hong Kong, and leaving Huyan behind with the with the grandparents, right? But then the as the story develops. When Huyan later knows that her mom is actually Japanese, and after her accompanying her mom to Japan, after her own experience living in a cultural environment in which she doesn't understand the language, Huyan has a lot more sympathy for her mom. Mm. So the second time, when the flashback is presented, we actually see that Huyan was playing on on the floor, and the grandma was bad mouthing about. The mother with her friends and they were all saying that she her food is cold she doesn't know the culture she doesn't mm-hmm. understand the language and then there is also another flashback we see that when the mother is leaving with the with the father we see her crying a lot more and when she was leaving she keeps looking back at the balcony to look at her child so in the second memory we have a lot more sympathy for the for the mother and we also you know, from from a serious, cold, cold-hearted, and, and silent woman, we start to understand her dilemma and her situation in Macau, living in a foreign culture, right? And so this is how flashback works in in the film. By showing, by revisiting the flashback, we actually discover more about the past, and it shifts our understanding of the past, but also our emotions and our uh, feelings regarding these characters. Right. There's this kind of mirroring between the two women where uh, Hiuyan, the protagonist, she's kind of in the same position as her mother, you know, because Hiuyan herself is in a foreign land. And I think what what jumped out to me in, in the start of the movie was this is actually a period film, even though it doesn't necessarily look like one, you know, 
the movie was made in 1990, but the contemporary timeline is actually set in 1973, which is around when Anne Hur graduated from college, from film school. The, like the entire movie itself is a memory that is set in the past, and then there's their memories within these memories, and it gives the entire thing this kind of intangible but nostalgic and warm quality. I think interestingly, my biggest problem with the film, which I actually didn't really like that much. Is that these flashbacks kind of?、Um, I would say they distract from the movie a little bit. It makes the movie seem a little unfocused, even though I know it it is the focus. The problem with the movie is once the conflict between her mother,、uh, the mother, and Hu Yan is introduced, which is pretty early in the movie, like maybe ten minutes into the movie. Huian comes back home, and they are like, you know, they are like sworn enemies. They really, really cannot stand each other, and then this conflict doesn't really evolve or deepen until they go to Japan, and then it becomes this kind of, I would say it's almost like a fish out of water comedy for the protagonist. You know, she she goes to Japan. She doesn't know the language. You know, she can't speak to anyone there. And then there's this pretty funny episode where she tries to steal a tomato or a potato from a farm, and then she gets chased because the people think she's a thief or something. And like those parts, I actually I think they really help the movie a lot because finally they push the story forward, and you know things are actually happening. But I think for the most part, my biggest problem with the movie is the conflict between the mother and the daughter doesn't really deepen in the present, and then. We we learn a lot more about them in the flashbacks, but it's pretty kind of it's like exposition that's fed to us. And then when the reconciliation comes, you know, it feels it doesn't feel very earned to me. I don't know if you you probably don't agree with this, and I would like to hear what you have to say about this. I think your commentary about the film being unfocused, I think because the film has a little bit of episodic character to it,、uh, meaning that it does not. Evolve around a central tension, and have all the scenes driven towards that、mm-hmm. central tension, right? So it's not like this is the fight between daughter and mother, and then how it evolve, twists and turns, and coming to a recon- reconciliation、mm-hmm. at the end. There wasn't actually so many twists and turns in the in the film. Instead, what we have is a more reflexive contemplation regarding. Small issues from the past, and how do we understand? It's all these small details, small episodes from the past that shapes our、mm. current understanding of ourselves and our general preconception of what kind of person, what kind of identity we have, right? And so, is revisiting these small details, small event, and then there is a there is that central structure of the. Of the conflict, and then going on a trip and reconciliation, right? So it's, but then in that trip, how does those small details, small life events of the daily life, how do they shift? So Hyun had a lot more interaction with the mom during their trip in Japan,、mm-hmm. and so how do this intense period of living together change her understanding of the past, and how do that changed understanding reshape their current relationship? And Hyun's pers- understanding of her own identity is she half Japanese? Is she Chinese? Where does Hong Kong come come to figure in in、right, this mapping、right. of her identity? And so, 
So I think that your impression of it being an unfocused or diffused narrative comes from the objective of the film is just not entirely dramatically driven. At mm. the end, the conflict between mother and daughter is a small story, right? But I think Anhui has a more ambitious goal here, which is to reflect on how is our identities constructed. Do we have agency? Do we have ways to reshape and move those small building blocks that shape our identity? Right. I I guess my problem with that is, I didn't really get how the protagonist Hugh Yan's um point of view changed after the trip in Japan. But I do think this is a this is because you probably know the movie much better than me. You know, I've only seen it once, and. And it was in pretty terrible quality, by the way. So I I don't think I really experienced the movie properly, and I didn't really get the kind of、um, psychological journey of Maggie Jung's character. But I think what you said about the identities is definitely true. One of the things that struck me towards the end of the movie was that it kind of reflects this、um, globalism of Hong Kong cinema at that age, and it, it's the uniqueness of Hong Kong cinema. It's a unique advantage. Like this movie has. One million languages and one million locations in it. It's like there's Mandarin, Chinese. There's dialect. I don't know which dialect it is. There's Japanese. You know, the movie is set in. It starts in London, goes back to Hong Kong, flashbacks in Guangdong and Macau, and then it goes to Japan. It's just this really big、uh, map that it covers, and I think it's the Hong Kong cinema production methods, but it's also reflective of Hong Kongers, you know, identities like. You know, it's literally.、Um, you know, we have a saying in Chinese where it's "ngu sei hoi." It's like literally coming from the five lakes and the four seas, and I think that's true of every Hong Konger. Like every Hong Konger you meet on the street probably has a different background and a different story. We all have our different hongha,、um, which is our different heritages. So I think this movie really captures the kind of undefinable, untraceable global map of Hong Kongers'、uh, heritage. And where they come from? Yeah.、Uh, so I think let's talk about this global journey.、Right? Mm-hmm. The the film starts actually in London. This is 1973. Huyan just graduated, just got her masters in、uh, communication and journalism, I assume, or, or, or filmmaking. And she actually wanted to stay in in London. She interviewed.、Right. She tried. She applied for jobs at BBC. She wasn't invited back for an interview. And then she comes to Hong Kong just to reluctantly to be to be present at her sister's wedding. Then, after a while in Hong Kong, she goes to Japan as you know this daughter's duty to accompany the mother to go back to visit the hometown. After the visit in Japan, she comes back to Hong Kong, and then because the grandpa the grandfather、mm. was sick, and so she goes to Guangzhou to visit the grandfather. And then, in their memory, all most of the flashbacks are their her childhood life in Macau and her teenage years in Hong Kong, right? So, from the from the first flashback, what we got from there is that the childhood Huyan learned from her grandfather this sense of the root of gun,、mm-hmm. right? And so, for the grand the grandfather is a typical Chinese intellectual. For him, Macau is not home. Home is this mythic China of 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 the、right. Chinese tradition and culture, medicine. You know this this glorious civilization that is home and country. And so, very early on in her life, Huyan is instilled with this concept that 
country home identification is elsewhere. This, this, this mythic faraway homeland. And what we are living here, the here and now is not home. The here and now is the exile, hard home, mm. right? We, we are just a guest. We are the exile. We are not owners of right. this land. And then, so she comes back to Hong Kong from London reluctantly. She was still thinking that she would go back to London. The, her first conversation with her mom was that, yeah, you can give all the jewelries to family heirlooms to, to my sister. Mm-hmm. I may one day just, you know, get married in, in Europe and I may never come back. Mm-hmm. So for her, the film starts with this denial of, of root-seeking. She doesn't need a home. She can be a happy exile anywhere in the world. And this is also at some time the self-conception of Hong Kong people. They can be anywhere. Hong Kong is just a portable identity. Right. As long as you can find dim sum and, and, and egg tart and your milk tea is fine, right? You can live anywhere. And but then her her homecoming, her, she coming back to Hong Kong changed a lot of her identity. But this doesn't happen yet in the middle of the film. It follows she follows her mom home. So we would imagine this mother, you know, pretty late in her life already. She didn't see her hometown for more than twenty years. And she always, during this time of her exile in Macau in Hong Kong, she used to see herself as a Japanese. This is the way she drew her identity. Right. She, she conceptualized her identity. She drew her difference between herself and everyone around her. But then the homecoming for mom actually is a process of bidding farewell to that idea of the identity. So going back to Japan... What we see is she, of her boasting about her life and her children, and of Hu Yan, the daughter that the daughter that she doesn't seem to like at home. She keeps boasting about how beautiful she was. She got her degree from London, etc., etc. And then at the end of the journey, we found out that Mom lost her identity in Japan. She no longer has a home. The family home is being sold by the brothers, and. In Japan, she come to understand that, oh, actually, she is a changed person. She's no longer a Japanese. She prefers the convenience of the small Hong Kong apartment than the bathhouse that she used to right. reminisce, she used to dream about. She misses the Hong Kong food, and she starts to say the same thing as the grandma in Macau, like Japanese food is so cold, right? So... For her mom, the homecoming is a process of saying goodbye, of rejecting her identity as Japanese, and of her embracing and understanding that I'm a changed person. I am Hong Kongese now. Mm. And for Hyuyan, it's the same. She coming to Hong Kong, her, she witnessed her mother's change of identity in Japan. right? And then after she came back to Hong Kong, she has to go to Guangzhou to visit her grandpa, because he has fallen sick. And then she discovered that grandpa has fallen sick because she, this is during the Cultural Revolution. Grandpa was um, was mm. criticized mm. and tortured, beaten, because grandpa tried to send Huyan a book of song poetry. So because grandpa embraced traditional culture, that's why he right. is punished in revolutionary China. And so this is also Huyan's disillusion of contemporary China, right? 
if what she identifies as this traditional mythic China is no longer there in contemporary mainland China. And so the story is this refashioning or coming into discovery of one's identity. After she came back to Hong Kong, she started working as a journalist for Hong Kong right, Radio right. TV. And she throws herself into the social movement that is taking place in Hong Kong. And she identified with the land, with the time that she is in, rather than always reminiscing of a faraway distant homeland. And so I think this is the what is in the title, Song of the Exile. Mm-hmm. This is the story of the exile finding a home in Hong Kong. Right. And I think it has a lot of contemporary relevance because of the current migration crisis that Hong Kong is once again facing. I, I, I wonder, you know, one of the things that really jumped out to me about the last part of, of visiting the grandpa at the end of the movie, very explicitly, you know, he says, you know, you're young, don't give up hope on China. And, you know, this movie was made in 1990, which is immediately afterwards the 1989 Tiananmen Square Massacre. And a lot of Hong Kong movies at that time were reflecting on the Tiananmen Square Massacre and the immediate aftermath. So I wonder, what do you think about that line? Because to me, it's this kind of, you know, what we nowadays call Dai Zhongwa Gao, which is like pan-Chinese, you know, naivety. That is, let's just say, not very in fashion anymore. So I wonder what you think about that direct comment by the grandpa. So so I, for grandpa, uh, he is he identifies with China and not mm-hmm. nothing else, right? And so the question is, so how does Huyan see this? At the end, there is a dis- disillusion about contemporary China at the end of the film, which is a very obvious, <clears throat> especially that there are a lot of... Um, you know, there is that association with the song poetry book and how grandpa was punished. There is also that little child that the grandparents are taking care of, just like when they were taking care of Yan when she was young. But then the child actually bites grandma's hand We were very badly when grandma was trying to feed her, feed mm-hmm. him. So, you know, the young, so this child is the wet guard that is biting off the feeding hand. That is traditional China, right? And so there is that wild criticism of contemporary China. But does it mean that Huyan gives up the entire her all her, you know, all her identification mm-hmm. with Chinese culture? I don't think so, right? But it's more about what one can do at the current time. Mm. And for her, that she has a role to play in contemporary Hong Kong. And that is what she embraced. But what is Hong Kong? Is Hong Kong necessarily separated from China, traditional China, contemporary China? That is that is another issue that hasn't come up yet. I think at at the time of the film. Right. I I I think what I was trying to say is it almost feels like the grandpa when he tells Huyan, "Don't give up on China." He's speaking directly to the camera. That's what I felt, and I think it's very reflective mm-hmm. of these early 1990s, you know, Hong Kong or hopes and dreams of, you know, the slogan, like, you know, let's, let's democratize China. It has that kind of hope to it. Yeah, so, right, so you are, you are thinking that this is the director's direct address to the audience. Yeah, it almost felt that way. And I don't think this is necessarily a criticism of the film. I think it just reflects the, the attitudes that was prevalent back then. That's right. And we should not forget 
we should not forget the June 4th event is the moment of Hong Kong's awakening of this national identification. Yes. Definitely. So yeah. th- we have like Hong Kongers had never identified more strongly uh, with China than at that time. Hmm. I wonder what you think about you know. Are there any kind of other stylistic components of the film that you would like to talk about, like in terms of the visual structure, etc.? Yeah. So I think I think the mirroring structure is very important to the cinematic language of this film. And so this also speaks to the concern of the new wave directors. The ambition in cinema is not just to tell contemporary stories that are relevant. They also have an ambition to reinvent cinematic language. And in this film, we see we see this quite conscious use of of the camera and also of let's let's first talk about narrative. Even in terms of the narrative, there is. There is this arrangement that almost functions like mirroring, a mirroring structure between the past and the present. Memory or flashback is always evoked by a similar situation in the present. And then the flashback which shows us how the past, how similar situation in the past shapes our current emotion, our, our current identity formation of our or our relationship with the others, etc. And then in the same, in following the same logic, if the past is shifted, then our current relationship can be different, right? And so this is how how the mother-daughter relationship changes in the film. In this um, narrative, we often see uh, one of the mirroring uh, technique is the use of the the distance between the balcony and the street downstairs to highlight the distance between mother and mm. daughter. Both in the past, in Macau, we seen we see several times how these spatial structures play out in highlighting their distance, and in the in the present, we also see but in reverse. Now the mother is on the street, the daughter is in the in the balcony, but then their distance did not change, right? So it's in that play between similarity and differences that we see how the past and the present is similar and how that revisiting actually changes right things for me um this movie reflects this kind of uh, lineage of one of the major pillars in Anne Hurst's filmography which is this domestic realist family drama that you know i don't know if this is the earliest example of that style but we see her revisiting this genre again in movies like uh 2008's the way we are, which is Teen So I Think and then also in Toze, A Simple Life from 2011, which is one of her most important and major and famous movies. And I think even early in her career, you can already see this kind of budding interest in the domestic realist family drama that, you know, you see these observational wide shots, you know, very slice of life kind of story. And, you know, like Isha, you just said, you know, the kind of contemplative rather than narrative structure that if audiences want to learn more about this pillar of Anne career and filmography, then Song of the Exile is definitely a good place to start. I wonder if you agree with this or not. So if we speak of this domestic realist family drama as a genre, right? I agree with you with like how this evolved in her later films. And I think The Way We Are is definitely a very significant film in, in her career. 
And we once said that uh, it's after making this film the way we are, then I know how to. I, now I know how to make films. <laughs> so <laughs> this is thirty years in her career. Yeah, pretty <laughs> late in her career. But I take this to heart, and I, I actually believe in this in this sentence because the, I think the way we are is very is a very different film compared to her earlier films. In the way we are, most of the narrative are actually not shown to us. They're all hidden. Mm. And what we are shown are these repetitions of daily life, and you know how the characters change, how their relationship change. All those are taken out from the plot, mm. and so it's a very the use of documentary observational mode, and it's a very retiant. You know, there are a lot of self disciplining in in the film, and a lot of trust in the audience that the audience would understand it and would feel it. I think um, some of the exile is a bit more is a lot more lyrical. Mm. So some of the exile, uh, summer snow, these films are a lot more lyrical, and the emotion is a lot is a lot more expressive. Mm. The way we are, I think, is much more hidden. A lot of those emotions is just like Hong Kongese way of dealing with each other. Right. You know, a lot of the love are left unsaid. Mm, yeah, it's not uh, you know doesn't express a lot with emotion, but the song of the exile actually deals with that emotion and try to express it, and also maybe a, a little bit more showing off of the cinematic language. For example, the use of the mirror. So right. um, there's one scene which is I, I think everyone would probably notice in the film is the hair cutting scene. So Huyen once at the moment when she came back when she came back to Hong Kong for the wedding she was dragged into the hair salon to cut hairs because right. her mom wants all three women of the family to look similar have the same haircut same dress etc to to look that oh we are a family so here is again similarity and identity and how the identity is imposed on Huyen she doesn't like the hairstyle she doesn't like the dress etc right but then this scene is. The three women sitting in front of three mirrors, and they're all being their hair were being cut. The the use of their reflection in the mirror, and them sitting in front of the mirror getting hair cut. So so there are many different compositions. So in a very tight space like that, to have so many different framing angles and compositions is quite an achievement, and I think it's a little bit of showing off of her technique. Mm. But then the mirror here also plays on that on that uh, film that is identity, right? How do we look? How do we appear in the eyes of the other? And how do we actually feel deep down? Like the impose of a similar identity and the desire to strike a unique personal identity. So, and then the mirror also comes out when. Uh, in a flashback, when Huyan was told finally by her dad that her mom is not Chinese, her mom is actually right. Japanese. Japanese, and she was already fifteen years old when she discovered this family secret. The moment she was told, the camera is cut to a mirror image, to to her reflection in the mirror, and the mirror is uh, broken, or we only see part of her face. So this is a split image, right? 
If Huyan holds on to a wholesome image of herself as a Chinese, at this point her image is split. Suddenly she realized that she's half Chinese, half Japanese. You know, and so, so the mirror really functions as that theme of identity between the difference of a spitting self and the imposition or the illusion of a unified identity. Mm. And I think this is used really, really well in this film. I think uh, one last thing I want to add is that, you know, we talked a lot about how this movie is about this kind of globalism or, you know, this kind of identitylessness of Hong Kong. And the protagonist is played by Maggie Cheung, who is the queen of globalism herself. You know, she was educated in Britain. She came back to Hong Kong to make movies. And then she later married a uh, French director, Louis Asias. You know, she made a mo- French movie, Irmavep. And she's just kind of, you know, at this point in her career, she's already starting to um, slim down her um, her filmography. And then after 1993, we just see a dramatic drop in the f- number of films that she made every year. But um, e- even during this period of her career, we see, you know, and her taking advantage of Maggie Jones unique background and you know starting the movie in London just kind of paralleling Maggie Jones own life and then obviously kind of later going back to Hong Kong to make movies so I, I also thought that was pretty interesting um so Isha um mm. what else do you want to add about this movie before we wrap up so I I actually don't agree when you say that the film is about this identityness the lack of identity in Hong Kong I think he's trying to is trying to say that identity is, is not does not have to be unified, does not have to be mm. about similarity or sameness, does not have to be imposed. Right? There are different ways to think about identity. Identity can be multiple, and it can be changing. It can be composed of different components. It doesn't have to be consistent. Identity can be about differences because this is how our lives are. An identity does not have to always be anchored on a root. It can be composed of these different experiences and exposure that comes from a history of diaspora. So it's, I think the film is insisting on the possibility of identity, mm. even in a situation when things are fragmented, when things are multiple and they don't co- cohere, and, and when things are changing. Identity is still possible. And I think it's important to say that because it's only when we embrace that identity, then we gain a sense of agency. Then we have emotional investment in what we do, in the people we met, in the events that we encounter, and in the work we do. So I think it's trying to hold on to that possibility and to that agency in almost a quicksand, in a situation of quicksand, everything is changing, collapsing, rebuilding, and shifting. Right. And I think that is, you know, once again, has a lot of contemporary relevance to, you know, what Hong Kongers are doing now. You know, we have so many questions with people going everywhere around the world. You know, does that mean our Hong Kong identity is lost? You know, what does it mean when, you know, Hong Kong's own landscape is being transformed so much. I think these are all questions that we are constantly asking ourselves and we don't really have answers to, but you know, it's interesting that you say, you know, like the movie is trying to tell us that that's okay and that's part of 
the reality that we live in. Well, very regrettably, unlike the first two movies that we covered in the first two episodes of our podcast, Song of the Exile is remains largely unavailable, which is really sad. You know, I don't think it's on Blu-ray or it's very hard to watch the movie. There is a link that's available on YouTube, but it's in very bad quality and doesn't have English subtitles. And that's the one that I watched, by the way. So we really hope that Song of the Exile will be made more widely available in the future. I actually have a pretty decent copy. <laughs> I think it was, maybe it would be worth a lot of money. I don't know. But uh, anyway, thanks so much for uh, listening to this latest episode of the Hong Kong on Screen podcast. And we hope to see you in the next. Bye. Bye-bye.